Well, have you ever had a morning where everything was going right? You ever had a morning like that? Everything was going well. <laughs> I had a morning like that last Sunday. I preached the same exact sermon at my dad's church in Charlotte. And I woke up and everything was just going great. From the very get-go, everything was right. I ironed my shirt and took more wrinkles, you know, didn't put any more wrinkles in it than I was trying to take out. I was able to find my shoes. I didn't have to look in the dog kennel to find my keys. You know, everything was going right. And me and Dad drove to church together, and we parked up in this parking lot in front of the church, and as we were walking back to go into the building, there was this flower bed, and there were these funny-looking little mounds, these little anthills. And Dad didn't recognize what they were at first, and he said, what in the world is that? I said, well, it's anthill. It's a fire anthill. He said, no, it's not. I said, sure it is. Watch. And I was just I was going to put my foot in it, you know, just touch it real quick and watch the ants come up. So I stepped in it. I stepped in it. And let me tell you, it was a mound. But it, it, it weren't no ant mound. It was a doggy mound. If you know what I mean. You ever heard of the wraparound effect? <laughs> Man, just a perfect morning just shot down the tube. And, uh, you know, I learned a valuable lesson from that. I learned a valuable, valuable lesson from that, and it's this. You can't judge a book by its cover. You just can't. You know, I looked at it, and I thought it was something, and I made a determination about who it was and what it was. And, you know, if I'd have really known what it was, I would have treated it a lot differently. And uh, I think we do that a lot of times in life with people. I think a lot of times we encounter a lot of different people in our life and sometimes we, we can be guilty of looking at them and the way they look and the way they dress and making a determination. Maybe not in a mean spirit, but making a determination about them. Boy, how many times after we've made that determination, we look back on it and we go, boy, I was wrong. I was just wrong about that person. And I should have treated them differently. If you have your Bibles today, would you turn to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. We're going to read a parable of Jesus today. That's a parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this parable, you're going to be introduced to three different characters. You're going to be introduced to a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Sounds like a bad Southern Baptist joke, right? And we're going to look at these three characters. And these characters represent three different ways in which we treat other people. Three different ways in which we respond to the people that we meet. And I just want you to ask this question today as we read this text and as we study it. Who do I identify with? These three characters, which one do I identify with the most? How do I treat other people? So if you would, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, begin reading as I read. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in, this, in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when, the, uh, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said to him, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. 17 miles. That is the distance between Jerusalem and Jericho. 17 miles. The road stretched through a dry and rocky canyon from Jerusalem to Jericho. The text says that a certain man went down to Jericho. And it's not talking about uh, geographically in terms of north to south. Jericho was actually north of Jerusalem. But what the text is saying is that the, as the man went down from Jerusalem, which was on a mountaintop, to Jericho, he actually went down. Over 17 miles, this dry and rocky road descended 3,600 feet in elevation through a dusty, dry, arid canyon. And through this canyon, there are boulders, there are rocks, there are all sorts of things, there are all sorts of great hiding places for thieves and robbers. This was a very infamous road in all of Israel. Everyone in Israel knew about this road. And stories like this one of a man traveling on the road and being uh, brutalized and robbed were a common occurrence in the first century. Mothers would tell their children, if I hear that you've been on that road, you better pray that those robbers get you before I do. This is a very, very common occurrence that when someone traveled on this road, they'd better be well guarded. And it just so happens that Jesus tells the story. In response to the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the story of a man who was traveling down this road and out of nowhere he's surrounded by thieves. They rob him, they brutalize him, they... Literally, the text suggests that they leave him naked. They departed, leaving him half dead on the road. And it is at this critical moment, through the blood and through the tears, that this man looks up and sees someone coming to him. Look at verse 31. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. 
Can you imagine the sheer excitement of this man? He's been brutalized. He's been hurt. He can't move. He can't walk. He can't get up and get cover. Here comes a man down the road who looks like him. A Jew. Someone from his own race. Someone who wears the same clothes. Who has the same hairstyle. Not only is this man a Jew, he's also a priest. His job is to love God. His job is to take care of people, to take care of Israel. Look what happens, though, in verse 31. When the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. To his unbelief, the priest walks up, takes a look at the situation, and walks away. Why does he do that? Write this down. You've got an outline in your bulletin this morning. If you'll pull that out, that'll help you follow me along. As we look at this first person, you can fill these words in. The priest, by his action, says this. I love my self-image more than anyone. I love my self-image more than others. You see, in Jewish culture, the priest was a very, very prestigious office to hold. It was one of the highest offices in all of Israel. And as the priest, it was his job to go into the temple and offer the sacrifices for the atonement of sins when an important job he had. And as the priest, it was his job to go into the temple and speak before God and get the entire will of God for the nation of Israel. It's a very important job. It was a very high uh, office to hold. It's his job to direct people and explain God's will. But unfortunately, when we read this text, we realize that this priest had forgotten another responsibility that he had. And that is, if I am going to explain God's will to someone, if I am going to go in and pray for them and intercede for them on on their behalf, then doesn't it also follow that I should love them when they're hurting? And that's what the priest had forgotten when we look at him. He had forgotten his responsibility that he had to love the people that he was leading. At this point in his life, the priest only loves himself. His image has distanced himself from the ones who should be close to him. He's allowed the importance and the the position of his office as priest to estrange him from his friends and his countrymen. I want to ask you, what about us as a church? What about you as an individual? Is it possible that you have fallen into the same pattern that the priest was living out? You know, we come here week after week and we make some pretty bold claims, don't we? We claim that in this building, corporately, every week, we meet with God Almighty. We talk about knowing His will. We claim to know Him and His will and to experience His life-changing power in our life. We speak of His love for all people. We speak about how He loves everyone in Nightdale. But let me ask you a question. Do you love everyone in Nightdale? (laughs) That's a different question, isn't it? That's a different thought altogether. And it's very easy. I know it is for me when we gather here week after week to talk about how we love the people in this community. But boy, when I start sitting down and really giving an assessment of my life, do I really love all people? Do, do you love the blue-collar immigrant 
who works night and day to support his family? Or do you comment, well, he's probably here legally. What about the woman or the man who cleans your office at work? It's very easy to go out and get lunch with the boss every day. When's the last time, though, that you recognize that there's someone there that keeps your office straight, that that serves you day in and day out? When's the last time that you or I spoke to them? We sing songs about how we go to the ends of the earth to share the gospel. And you'll notice this. If you come to Green Pines long enough, you'll notice this. We do. We go all around the world, and I'm thankful to God for that. You'll find trips that we go to Asia, we go to Bangladesh, we go to India, to Mexico, to Belarus. We bring people from the nations to us from Belarus, and that's wonderful. I'm glad that we go to the ends of the earth, but let me ask you this. What about the end of the driveway? Have you taken the trip to the end of the street? To bring a meal to the single mom who constantly cares for everyone else and desperately needs someone to care for her. And I ask you this today because God's been asking me the same question. As I study this text, uh, me and Chelsea have been married for seven months now. and We live down this way in Wendell. We've been living in our house for seven months now. We've lived in this house. And just a week or two ago, I found out that three houses down from me There's an elderly lady who lives by herself, alone. Her husband's in the hospital, and she can't really take care of herself. And here I've been for seven months living in this house. And I just realize in my own life how easy it is to overlook, not purposefully, not in a a bad, mean spirit, but to just overlook and not see hurting people. I just want to encourage you. There are people like that in your community. You know them, you can think of them right now. And I just encourage you, be Jesus to them. Make sure they know that you love them. In this life, we encounter people and they're walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it is a dangerous walk through this life. And many people we come in contact with have been hurt, have been damaged, have emotional scars, and we have the answer. Jesus. We have the means to help, often, materially. But so many times I notice that in my own life, and maybe in yours too, we walk up to the poor, the marginalized, those who don't look the same as us. We see their desperate need and we feel bad. But have we been guilty of walking past? Eugene Peterson paraphrases the words of James well when he writes, Dear friends, Do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, if you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and said, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat Or a cup of soup? Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God action is outrageous nonsense? So let me ask you, very personally for a moment, how long have you been coming to Green Pines? How long have you been here? Have you really connected here in serving with us? 
For some of you, God has gifted you with abilities and talents that no one else here has. There are things that you can do. There are things that you're good at that we really need. There, that, that there are abilities and places for you to minister that, that, that this community needs. And you've been coming for a while, and other people have been ministering to you. Now, I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you today. Take today. Take the first step towards ministering to others. A great way to do that is VBS, as Chris mentioned. In a few weeks, do you realize that we'll have tens and tens of kids come into this campus, and we have the, possi- the opportunity to share Jesus with them. And you don't have to be able to explain the gospel the best. You don't have to be able to do that. You know what? Something as simple as helping a kid make a craft can teach them and show them the love that they might not get at their home. What an impact you could make for the gospel. And so there are ways beyond ways beyond ways that you can get engaged here at Green Pines. And I want to encourage you to do that. Write this down. This is good. Don't mistake. Religious performance for a relationship with God. Because it's very easy to come here week after week and and do the outward performance, but not really have a relationship with God. Don't trust your image as a church person to benefit you in God's economy. God's economy does not run on appearances, but on action. So you see that the priest loves his self-image. He's, he's stuck on himself. And that has caused him to ignore others. Secondly, look at the Levite. Notice verse 32 with me. It says, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now the Levite's kind of a different person when you begin to study Israel. Levite's a very peculiar person. If you were to go back and study the Old Testament, you would find out that there are 12 tribes of Israel, 12 different people groups that made up the nation of Israel. And in the Old Testament, when Israel went in to obtain the promised land that God had given to them, all the land was divided up amongst the 12 tribes, except for Levi. Levi didn't receive any inheritance in the land. And so what happened was... Uh, God instructed that the Levites were were to be caretakers of Israel. And in exchange for this, because they didn't receive any of the promised land, all of the tithes that Israel gave would be given to the Levites. That would be their payment. You see, if Israel doesn't tithe, if Israel isn't generous, then Mr. Levite doesn't eat. And it's interesting That we find a man here in the Levite who is dependent upon the generosity of others for his own livelihood. And he comes in contact with a man who is helpless. A man who is dependent on his generosity to live. But what does he do? He passes by. So secondly, the Levite, by his actions, write this down, says, I love my things more than others. I love my things more than others. Notice how the Levite passes by. When he saw him, verse uh, verse 32, likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by how? I can't hear you. 
On the other side, that's right. You can interact with me today. You can talk to me. Don't be afraid. I won't chuck the Bible at you. On the other side, his mindset is this. Watch this. The Levite's mindset is this. If I walk far enough away from the victim, I won't have to hear the cries for help. If I distance myself enough from hurting people, then my conscience won't be seared. I want to warn you, it can, it's very, very easy to begin to live like that, isn't it? We might not do it intentionally or knowingly, but it's very easy to begin distancing ourselves from people who are hurting. And I want to encourage you, be careful of that. Watch out for that. Don't live like that. The struggle for the Levite was that he didn't have a steady income. He's dependent upon Israel. And, and so what that means for him is that if he stops, he would have to give his time, his money, even risk getting robbed himself. And you know what? He might not get any more money. He loves his things, his money, more than he does the opportunity of helping someone. He understands that helping people involves personal cost, and it always does. Let me tell you, that is a lesson I've learned over and over and over. Whether it's your time, whether it's your material possessions, or whether it's even your, your own emotional stability, it costs to help other people. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Sadly, he chooses to live with his greed. He loves things more than people. This is something, man, this, this, this aspect of loving things, I, this is something that God has been teaching me about. And one of the biggest ways that God taught me this lesson was about five or six years ago. My dad, before he was a believer, my dad accepted Christ in 1983. And before he was a believer, my dad used to build custom motorcycles and drag race them down at Daytona. He was just a wild kind of guy. And um, so when my dad accepted Christ, he just kind of left the lifestyle for a while. Uh, and then about five years ago, he didn't ride for about 20 years, and about five years ago, he bought a motorcycle, wanted to start riding again and just enjoy uh, riding without all the drugs and you know the booze and everything. And so he bought a motorcycle, and he got three or four helmets with it, and so I could have one, and my younger sister could have one, and my mom could have one. And I had this helmet, man. It was such a sweet helmet. It was made by Shuey. It was about a $350 motorcycle helmet. And I just enjoyed having that helmet. I would go out into the garage and I would polish it up and make sure it was it was nice and in place. And uh, you know, this helmet had little air intakes that would circulate cool air through the helmet. I remember one day that I walked out to the garage to grab something and I noticed my helmet wasn't on the hanger where it normally was. So I walked back inside and I and I asked Dad, have you have you seen my helmet anywhere? He said, Yeah, I gave it away. You did what? He said, yeah, I gave it away. I gave it away. God needed it, so I just gave it to him. But, but, Dad! You know, and I was about to call him an idiot or something that I shouldn't have. I'll be honest. And he stopped me. He cut me off before I could get really angry. And he, and he said, you know, Jonathan, sometimes I like to give away things. Things that are very important to me. I like to give them away just to make sure that I'm not holding on too tightly. 
thank Dad. I'm so glad you could share that piece of knowledge with me. Now give me my helmet back. But you know, I've had to learn a lesson. And God is still teaching it to me to this day. And I don't think it's ever a lesson that I will ever master. But it's this. Church, listen to me. God gave us uh, people to love and things to use. And when we begin to love things, we begin to use people. And that's true over and over and over. God gave us people to love, things to use, just to use them. And when we exchange those two, when we begin to love things, we find out at the end of our life that we have really abused a lot of people that we should have been loving, that we abused their time, their money, their generosity towards us. And I just want you to be careful of that. I want to challenge you a bit, and hopefully uh, at least someone will take me up on this. When you leave today, you can go right out here to the, the Target or, or the Michaels, and I want you to buy a pack of stickers, pack of blank stickers. And what I want you to do is I want you to take those stickers and, and write on those stickers this sentence. Soon to be burned. Soon to be burned. Take that sticker, put it on the car. Because, as you know, the Bible teaches that one day Jesus is going to come back. He's going to return. And you know what? This earth is going to be destroyed. The things in it are going to be destroyed. So take that sticker, put it on the car, and say a prayer. You know what, God? I love you. Thank you for the car. It's a great gift. I'm so glad that you've seen fit to bless me with it. But it's going to be burned one day. It's just not going to last. It's not going to last. Take another sticker, put it on the house. God, thank you for the house. I'm so glad that you have given me a nice home to live in. Thank you for blessing me. But you know what? God, I recognize that it's not going to last. And so that when you see that sticker, every time you get in the car, you realize, you know what? It's not going to last. I can't take it with me. It's not going to last. And I'll tell you what, you can put one on the car, on the house, and one on the paycheck. But you can't put one on people. Because people last. Whether they go one way, Sadly, if they go the other, people last. They matter. Things don't. So seeing that the priest loves his self-image, the Levite loves his material possessions. Now let's take a look at the Samaritan. Read verse 33 with me. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, He had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. (laughs) Now you need to understand, in the first century when Jesus was telling this story, when, when the word Samaritan came out of his mouth, jaws would have hit the floor. Jews didn't like Samaritans. Samaritans didn't like Jews. We find out in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well who happens to be a Samaritan. And he says something to her and she goes, why are you speaking to me? 
Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. We find out that Jews and Samaritans weren't even on speaking terms. A Samaritan helping a Jew? This was the furthest thing from their mind. This would be like a Carolina fan helping a Duke fan. (laughs) This would be like a... Who are the Canes in a series with now? The Penguins? Yeah, it would be like the Penguins giving the Canes a free goal. We see in the life of the Samaritan that by his actions, finally, the Samaritan says, I love my enemies as I love myself. I love my enemies as I love myself. The Jew laying in the ditch was his enemy. And the scriptures say that the Samaritan had compassion on him. Well, let me explain to you. Let me give you a good picture of what compassion is for a moment. And I can explain it in one word. Verse 33 says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So, so he went to him. Godly compassion is summed up in the word. So, so. Now, I'm sure that the priest didn't pass by the man in the ditch and say, man, I'm glad he's sitting there all beat beat up. I don't think the Levite took pleasure in the fact that someone had been mistreated. No, they probably walked up and they probably saw the man and went, oh my gosh, man, what what a terrible situation. Who would do such a thing just to rob a man and leave him to die in the ditch? Someone should help him. Just not me. Just not me. What made the difference in the Samaritan is that when he saw someone in need, he didn't just feel bad for him. He asked the one word question that will help you determine whether or not you're compassionate every single time. So, that's how to gauge whether or not you're a compassionate person. The next time you see someone in need and you have the means to help them, ask yourself the question. So, Is it simply enough to feel bad for them? Really? Is it simply enough to have sentiment and emotion towards them? Ask yourself the question, so, what am I going to do about it? Look at the example of the Samaritan loving his enemy. He doesn't just judge the man by his cover because he's a Jew and go, you know what, I'm glad you're finally getting yours. You've mistreated us for years and now I'm just glad that that you're getting yours. He goes to him and risks possibly getting robbed himself. The priest and the Levite had said this, you know what, I'm going to love myself even if it kills you. I'm not going to put myself in harm's way. I'm not going to risk getting robbed. I'm not going to risk being killed. For you, I'm going to love myself and take care of myself even if it means that you die in that ditch. The Samaritan goes to him and he says, you know what, at own personal risk of injury to myself, I'm going to love you even if it kills me. He makes time to help. He gives his own wine and oil. The wine would disinfect the alcohol and the wine would disinfect the wound. The oil would soften the muscle. He probably cut strips of his own shirt to make bandages. And he gives up the convenience of riding his own animal so the beaten and bloody man can rest. To top it off, he pays for the guy's lodging and picks up the tab on the doctor bill. This is the example that the lost world is looking for today, church. They need to see men and women 
who have been so changed by the love of Jesus Christ that they give and give and give and give and give and continue to give until they can't give anymore. That is what the lost world is looking for. So the question today is this. How am I treating others? Am I quick to judge? Slow to love? Perhaps today you've been focused on the wrong person. Yourself. Perhaps today you need to take that first step in beginning to love other people. And to not just say that you love Nightdale. To not just say that you love Hyde Road. But to love them by your actions. 1 John 3, 17 says this. If any man has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need and shuts up his heart to him, how does the love of God abide in him? If you want to gauge whether or not you're really reflecting God in your life, if you want to gauge whether or not you're really, really close to him, all you have to do is ask, what happens when I see someone in need? Do I go to them? Because, my friend, just like the people that you encounter that are hurting, there was a time when you were lost, separate from God, and he came to you. And he rescued you. And he set aside his image for you. Years ago in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma City, there was a terrible, horrible apartment fire. And the firemen had rescued everyone that they could from the building that they could see. And there was one woman in hysterics in the crowd. And she said, I've got to go back into that building. My baby is in there. They said, ma'am, no one can go back. No one can go back. It's, it's too late. She said, please, please, you've got to let me go. My baby is in that building. And one strong fireman stood up and said, turn the hoses on me. I'm going in. And they said, if you want to, you can. But I'm telling you, you're not going to make it out alive. He said, I'm going. I can't stand here any longer. And up the ladder he went into that second story. And they sprayed the fire hoses on him to keep back the flames. He went into that room, black, filled with smoke. He found the crib where the woman had said it would be. He looked in the crib and there was the bundle. He reached down, picked it up gently, hugged it to his chest and back out he went. And when he appeared in the window, all the people were cheering. He came down the ladder and the mother broke away from the fireman and rushed towards him and grabbed her baby and pulled back the the blanket. And in horror realized, it's not my baby. It's my baby's doll. Now I can't think of anything really more tragic than that. Except for this. Except for this. That you would experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And that you would live your life and get to the end of life. And when all the smoke had cleared away, to see that you went through life and robbed yourself of the joy and peace and happiness that only Jesus can give. And to realize that you had been clinging to the toys 
of this life. This life can hurt. And this life can just outright stink sometimes. But the beautiful thing about the cross of Jesus Christ is that no matter how bad it gets, my hope is built on nothing nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And because He came for me, when I was sinful, lost, disobedient, wayward, hateful to Him, He came to me. And so I, in turn, go to others. How do you treat them? Have you gone to them? Let's pray.